Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 305, covering Child's Play and Good Shepherd. Hi, friends. Uh, apologies in advance. I have the whole... Barry White voice thing going, little He's got under the, the weather. Doctor Girlfriend voice. I got, hey, hey, honey, I'm not your mommy. I'm not your freaking. Listen. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm still here. I'm, I'm a professional, and uh, actually, we liked this week's Voyager episode. Yeah, shockingly, these were both pretty good. I quite liked the second one. Apparently, you like it was flip flop for you, where you yeah, quite no, liked the I first one. I actually really liked the first one quite a bit. Yeah. Which, you know, we got to sing the show's praises when it lets us, and this is one of those weeks. Mm-hmm. So sing, Matt. Child's play. Also, uh, I still don't see why people hate the Borg kids yet. Uh, according to people, we know it's coming. Okay. And all it hell's might... coming with it. Oh, boy. Well, so far, so good. No, I, mean, I like this one. I, I will say, before, before we get underway and talk about specifically what happened in Child's Play, something I noticed, a trend this season, mm. they seem to be shifting away from the main cast and focusing on uh, new recurring characters or uh, people. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. Or people who just showed up and then will leave again. Like, there's been a lot less focus on the core, however many it is, six, seven, eight people in the main credits, which is a little weird. It's like they looked up and were like, oh, mm, they probably could have done better than these guys. I mean, the this, the the order list says we should do a Balana episode next. We could do that, or ooh, the board kids. How about that? Yeah, let's. Or or what about if we just made up some new characters? Yeah, I mean, do we really want another Barge of the Dead, or should we just uh, mm. should we just make up somebody new? I think I I think we've probably done everything we can with Balana. Sorry, yeah. Roxanne Higgs Boson. Hey, I'm Sorry. still on the show for another two years. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna just sit like remember what we did when you were pregnant and you just like stood behind a bunch of tables and said three lines. That's that's your next two years. Your job is to disapprove of everything Seven does for the next two years. Yeah. She's got lots of important plots coming up. Although I will say, last week uh, in uh, terrible Fairhaven, I always forget fairy folk. No, spirit folk. Um, she and Seven were on the same side. That's true. That was Amanda's good thing. I remember that. Like mm-hmm. those, those two usually disagree, but that time even they said, "No, this, this is, this is bad." I just want to see uh, them, uh, them together. Just like I do not approve of Fairhaven. She's right. I also don't approve of Fairhaven. What? What? I mean that. Yeah, that should be your your uh, indication right there. If these two agree on anything, I, I I do not understand. I didn't like a thing, and you also didn't like a thing. Yeah, you're right. What? Uh, okay. There is well. nothing. I just realized how much I enjoy the idea of an utterly baffled seven of nine. Yeah. Well, it doesn't happen very often. J- excuse me? She's not exactly baffled in this episode that you're about to talk about, uh-huh. but she Eventually. is. Uh, she is. Um, What's the word I want? Pissed the, off. The, the, I, I can't think of it. Challenged? Mm-hmm. Angry? Why don't, why don't you tell us? All right. <clears throat> So Janeway is utterly overjoyed that, with the arrival of these new Borg children, there are finally enough kids on board to do a real honest-to-God science fair. Finally! All these brilliant children can get together and show the captain what they've learned all this year. Meanwhile, Harry pouts outside. Apparently his invention was lost in the invitation was lost in the mail. It wasn't, Harry. It absolutely wasn't. Nobody wants to see your volcano model. You are old news. One especially bright Borg child, much brighter than, say, Harry Kim, for example, is in for a real treat. The crew have located his parents and are dropping him off with them. Great! A chance to leave this amazing spaceship and go hit dirt with a stick on my garbage farm planet. What a treat! Seven is also not thrilled, worried to lose one of these great new kids she's befriended, so she starts sniffing around the dirt slapper's planet. Meanwhile, Borg boat boy Icheb starts actually bonding with his parents, eating home-cooked meals and playing a somehow more boring version of soccer. He agrees to stay and help his people. Seven is not thrilled. Nobody walks out on her. Even as Voyager leaves, she continues to analyze data about where they've left the, where they've left Icheb. Eventually, she discovers something wrong and wakes Janeway from a sound sleep. She does not request a shuttlecraft, but only because Garrick is not around to request it. <laughs> 
Voyager returns to Dirt Slapper 1 and discovers that Echeb has been loaded into a spaceship and sent into Borg space again. It turns out the kid was bred specifically to be a weapon against the Borg and give them Borg plague or whatever. So they save him and ditch the shitty planet because fuck those guys, Earth is better. I knew as soon as we saw the planet he was from that you were going to hate it. Yep. Just, I can tell. I got I got that sense after all these years. Al, they're a simple farming people. Fuck you. They're not. They have they have hidden technology that they didn't tell Voyager about, and some of it is even more sophisticated than what Voyager had. They're, st- they're a slightly simpler farming people, Al. No, they're not. That's what Working I'm saying. Working on agriculture. Yeah, but they have hidden, like, they, they, made, a, they made their kid into a Borg weapon. That's, that's, that's true. Some, that's some hardcore science there. <laughs> it's something. I know that much. I, the, the thing is, and this is my good thing, it's rare that Voyager delivers a twist that I not only don't see coming, but actually appreciate when it does. Oh, yeah. That, this was really good. Like I, We talk about this a lot because we've watched so much of this, and these writers have certain patterns, mm-hmm. and I can usually see the twist coming a mile away because they all write to a certain formula at this point. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't know this, this is what their deal was, and was like, whoa, not only... Did I not see that coming? It was actually cool. I will say that, like, I thought I knew exactly where this was going, which was yeah. as soon as one of those kids is like, hey, Echeb, come play stupid crap ball with us. I'm like, oh, those kids are going to beat the shit out of him because he's a Borg. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I saw two or three possibilities. That was definitely And then he leaves because of racism. Like, yeah, no, I get it. But no, this yeah. was so much better and so much cleverer. Yeah. And kind of fucked up. Yeah, really fucked up. Because you want to feel like uh, typically the show wants to get you on the side of his parents. And they did make them fairly sympathetic at first because uh, from their perspective, as far as you know, Mm -hmm. they lost their kid. Their kid is back. Their kid doesn't want to be with them. But, you know, they're they're hoping to win him over. Yeah. No, you start feeling bad for him. And then (laughs) nope. It's actually it's very I can't name episodes, but it seems like a Star Trek episode we've seen before. Yeah. No, there was, um... Uh, what was it? The fucking, the kid who gets taken by the aliens and raised by the aliens? Uh, I think it was Suddenly Human, where, uh, Picard sort of half-ass adopts, not really adopts, but takes him under his wing for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the that's teen kid, and then his, his alien dad comes, and there's this whole, like, uh, uh analogy with, um, uh, beating your kids and stuff. Uh-huh. And I, I remember that part of it not being handled terribly well, but the... The overall issue of aliens ad- adopting a kid and going back to your family and that kind of yeah. thing. But so, like, I figured, you know, I knew exactly where this was going. And then that twist right at the end is just perfect. Yeah. I, I should point out, since p- people will undoubtedly write in and say, why didn't you mention this? Echeb's uh, father, played by Mark Shepard, who is in literally every genre show ever. Uh, Matt, if you don't know who he is, yes, you do. I super recognize He's one of those him. Guys. I just like, well, he was in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, fuck. Okay, yeah. He was, I believe, one of the lawyers in that oh, whole sure, season of lawyers. Oh, sure, the memorable lawyer characters from Battlestar wow. Galactica. I, I'm just saying, there was a whole stretch of, like, law stuff that kind of lost me on that show. But he was that. Uh, he was in Firefly or uh, Serenity, mm. one or both of those, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, and then he's in some shows I don't watch, like Supernatural. But he's all over the place. I think he might have been in Buffy or Angel as well. I could be wrong probably. about that one. But, I mean, that's been long enough that he probably doesn't look, well, no, because it's Voyager. I, I don't find him particularly remarkable. I was having this conversation on Twitter the other day mm-hmm. with uh, Tidro, who is a big fan of him. Oh. Um, but it's, uh, the, the thing is, there are fans of him. And again, this just feels like one of those things. Hey, you didn't even point this out. No, we did. And mm-hmm. I kind of recognized he's a guy I should know, but I don't. And Matt apparently didn't even recognize that much. So there no. you go. I'm not good I, with faces. I will say he is apparently, and I also learned this yesterday as well, the son of that grizzled old guy that uh, this is the Gulag Rarapente. Oh, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who keeps popping up in Star Trek. We do like that guy. <laughs> well, he's or from I the do. Gulag Rarapente. How could we not like him? Well, he was that. He was the guy at the uh, Vulcan Science Academy who bitched out Spock. Look, I'm he sure was... he was plenty of things, but when you're a Klingon going, yes, welcome to yeah. the Gulag Rarapente. Well, that's true. But he was also in Voyager. He was the, the crazy space pirate who was fighting that uh, dream oh, fuck, cloud or whatever. Right. I forgot yeah. about that episode. Yeah. Which, when I describe it out loud, sounds terrible. It was actually pretty good. As he anyway. charges back into it going, Arr! This time I'll get him for sure. He took me leg. Arr! Right. Anyway. But no, I, I actually liked his parents, mm-hmm. like Echeb's parents. It Like, they were a bit sympathetic until we found out they were evil bastards. Well, that's the thing. They sent, They seem perfectly, like regular and like there's a great scene where they're eating dinner together and like 
the mom is just ple- like looking at him, just pleased that he's like that she's like getting to feed her kid. They they do seem regular, but they don't. They didn't fall into that boring guest star trap of like, uh, this is a scene I don't care about with three characters I don't care about. Like they did a pretty good job of making them seem sympathetic, so that then when the twist came, it actually hurt. Yeah, like it would be really easy to do this and have like them not really sort of care, you know, like right. if the acting isn't like if the acting's flat, you know, if they're doing like a Robert Beltram or something, right. then it doesn't really matter when they fucking stick him on a spaceship and send him out to be fucking exactly. bait. The the twist hurts because you're invested. Yeah, and exactly. I thought and, and this is in the writing as well. I thought they did a pretty good job of getting us invested in well yeah, these 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 guys miss their kid. Mm. And the kid doesn't want to go back because as you rightly point out, Voyager's much better. Yeah. Hey, do you want to live on Voyager, or do you want to live on this on this crummy planet? Oh, I want to live on Voyager. I mean, I could probably dodge Neelix for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, they they pointed out, and they did a good job in this episode, because these guys only just showed up, and they've been kind of in the background. They were in one B story so far. Like, we haven't gotten to know them very well mm-hmm. yet, so it's hard to make us care when he just showed up. But they did a good job of laying that groundwork in this episode, I thought. Yeah. They showed that he has a real aptitude for astrometrics, all the stuff that that uh, Seven gets up to in mm-hmm. her, her crazy lab. And he's actually good at it. He's not just that he likes it and he has potential. He's actually creating things that help the ship already. And he's only still a kid. Yeah. Which I kind of gives it an extra set of like now it's not just we care about what happens to this kid. But on a practical level, he's also helpful to yeah, he's us. He's a useful kid. He's a useful member of the crew, even mm. though he's not officially in the crew, which puts him in the ranks of Naomi Wildman rather than the ranks of, say, Neelix. What have you done for us lately, Neelix? Well, <laughs> hi. I got you that crawler. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Let's uh, let's talk about the science fair. Yep. Which I really liked. Like, we saw a very similar scene. This is a famous scene from Next Gen mm-hmm. with Captain Picard Day. Oh, yeah. Where Picard's got to go talk to kids and he hates kids. And he's got to pretend to like it all. And this is just, to me, a stark contrast to that, because not only does Kate love science, but she's pretty good with kids. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mind doing this. Hey, I got some kids on board and I got to go talk to them thing. Like it was it was really good on a few different levels. I Kate's thought. got a real like like fifth grade teacher thing going on. Well, what I liked was each kid like like you got Naomi and the I don't remember any of the board kids now except for Ichib because he says he had his own episode. I don't remember any of the Ichib, other names. There's Ichib, twins, and girl. And fake Naomi. Yes. Yes. Second of Naomi. Fit-na-fo-me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you almost had it. Uh, it was almost something. We'll workshop it later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll run it by Matt for... Oh, shit. No, yeah, I won't. son of a bitch. I can't run that by Matt for punch-up. You are Matt. You need a spare Matt. <laughs> no, Never introduce I, me to him. I would beat him to death. I, I hid the spare Matt under the key. Oh, God. See what I did there? Oh, damn yeah, it. I'll workshop that as well. That one doesn't need workshopping. That was pretty clever <laughs> right out of the fucking gate. Anyway, my, my point was, um, I, Kate changes the way she approaches the kids. Mm-hmm. She talks to Naomi and this other kid. They're like seven or eight or whatever, like seven or eight year olds, not condescending, but definitely more like kids. Mm hmm. And then Icheb, who is almost a grown-up, she switches her approach and talks to him like a grown-up. Yeah. Like, that is a that is a subtle thing. I'm sure it was an acting choice on Mulgrew's part. But, like, a good teacher doesn't just have the same tone with everyone. You, mm. you, you encourage, you use what works best with the particular person you're talking to. Yeah. And I, that, that really struck me. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's science, and she's into that anyway, so that, that helped. I just, like... <laughs> The Borg children have been on board for, like, a week, and it's like, yeah, we're going to have a science fair. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty Captain Janeway right there. It is, but it's also Seven, because mm-hmm. Seven's been schooling them. And I feel like Seven wants to show Janeway, her her looming maternal figure, look, I've been doing good stuff. I mm-hmm. will I will organize an event that illustrates to you what they've been learning. I never thought I would think this, but I kind of love Seven in charge of these kids. Yeah. Like, I was I was open to it the whole time, and so far it hasn't been terrible. It I, might be. I mean, but it in hasn't my yet. head, it's ugh, I keep coming back to this. It's like the Borg children just seem to me like the fucking junior Ghostbusters or something. Like I get the, it. Yeah. This terrible fucking concept that I don't want on my on my on my on my space show. But like, I, I like what they bring out of Seven. 
Well, and, and we've talked about we talked about this like back when we were covering Next Gen, and someone mm-hmm. said Borg Children, and I think we both heard it for the first time. I'm like, well, that sounds terrible. Yep. But so far, like, and we've said this too. Star Trek, like all of the this era Star Trek shows, uh, more often than not, get kids right. Like they don't every single time. No. But Wesley had a whole period where we liked him, and Jake and Nog were Jake great. Jake and Nog were both great. And Naomi's been great. Like mm-hmm. Star Trek usually writes pretty good. And then you got your one offs. Mm-hmm. Like you got your Jeremy Astors and that kid who wanted to be like Data. Like there's a lot of examples of Star Trek writing kids pretty well, and I think it continues here. I guess that's true. There and again, there's a lot of examples where they're not. Like uh-huh. you don't have to come in and say, "Yeah, but what about this? What about this?" No, there were bad ones too. Mm-hmm. But the I mean, knee-jerk it, reaction for me isn't, "Oh, kids, this is gonna suck." It's yeah. like, "Oh, let's see where this is going." No, it's like it honestly, it should just be the same as any like guest yeah. character or whatever that shows up. Like, yeah, no, this might be bad. It might not be, but you know. But a lot of TV shows, when they add a kid, that's usually the death sentence. Yeah, and the absolutely. show, not the case so far. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we're not done with this season, and we got a whole season after that. We've still got like 30 episodes to go, so it could happen. But uh, so far, so good. Yeah. Um, What was your good thing? Um, I really like that uh, Seven has decided that she really hates her parents. Oh, yeah. Uh, Like... When nobody was looking, she sort of sat down and did the math and realized that all of her problems come from her parents making one terrible decision. And I think that's a great character choice for her. I feel like it builds on like because last time, what was it, the two parter where they almost she almost went back to the collective where we mm-hmm. had flashbacks to her parents. I feel like this has been coming and it's almost like a calculated arc. Yeah. Where the more she goes back and thinks about it and how her life turned out, the more she realizes, oh. This is the point where yeah. it went wrong because these adults, a lot, mom and dad. Yeah. These two adults who controlled my life at that point and I had no say in their decisions made this decision that and that put me here. Decided to go poke the Borg beehive with their seven year old. Yeah. And now 30 years later, I'm covered in bee stings. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> Thanks a whole lot, mom and dad. Yeah. Dumbasses. No, it's good. And usually I think like resenting your parental figure is a little lazy, but mm-hmm. here it's justified and I think it totally works. I also there's a couple of scenes in this episode where like uh she's talking about like defending <laughs> this kid or whatever, and Janeway just turns around and go, Aren't you hitting like are you sure this is just about that kid? Are you sure this doesn't have anything to do with you? And stuff is like, it absolutely has something to do with me. Oh, yeah. No, I loved that. I loved because I at first I thought, oh, really? I was picking up on that without your help, Voyager. You Mm -hmm. didn't need to tell me that. No, they needed to tell her that. Yeah. And then they needed to tell us. Seven's aware of her failings. Mm -hmm. Seven's aware when she's biased and when her emotions are taking over and she deals with it like, yes, I am. I am doing something bad, Mm -hmm. but I also know I'm bad and I'm trying to deal with that shit. And it takes someone at a at a like a higher level of self-awareness to to do that mm. it I actually it, co- it comes back again in the next episode like when she's doing her sort of breakdown of how everyone's doing on the ship oh yeah so it does and she's like no nah, and this is these are the, these are where i have problems right no and i like that because it's easy to write that arrogant character as believing they're flawless mm-hmm. and she doesn't do that and in fact weirdly enough that kind of ties into my bad thing yes this isn't really this episode's fault. It's been a long time coming, and I'm, I'm going to alienate some people, maybe even you, with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I like the Doctor anymore. I I really used to look forward to him, and now I just don't. It's mm-hmm. kind of tedious and samey. There's like two Doctor jokes, and I'm sick of them. Like, y- Yeah, I, I kind of get what you mean. It's, it's I, I wrote this down. This is what we in the business call the Robotham Wharf Threshold. Yep. You now, go in you, loving a character, and gradually they wear you down, and you're just like, all right, I'm done. Now, you hit it faster than I ever did, but... Uh, That's not... I mean, well, I mean, we had two series with Worf, but this took six years. No, we took... Six t- seasons. We, we got like... Uh, yeah, yeah, we got like uh, eight or nine seasons right. out of Worf before... Uh, no, about no, six uh, about six to seven years. That was about when I'm like, I don't think I like this guy. No, you liked him by the end of Next Gen still. It wasn't until another extra season or two of DS9, so it was like nine or ten mm. seasons for you. Well, that might have but, been just also like Worf transitioning from TNG to DS9. That could be. When you see him among different characters, yeah. you're like, wow, okay. Well, and they definitely and I know, started doing new things with the character once he was on DS9, too. Yeah, they used him because you had to tweak him so he wasn't just Odo on that show. You had mm-hmm. to like find new and interesting things about him, and those things were interesting, but, but they also made him... an interesting jerk? Well, but again, we, we always need to make the distinction of, yeah, you didn't like him, but you like to not like him. Oh, yeah. Like, it's good to have a few characters in the mix that you would never want to talk to in real life. Mm-hmm. 
like Kai Win. Like Kai Win, excellent villain, Ooh. terrible person. How dare you bring her name into this show? But this is a little different. This is the doctor is not consistently well written and just a person I don't like. The problem is they're not hitting any new notes with him. No. It feels and like they're trying and like the notes they are hitting with him are not working. It's just like and and I mentioned this in relation to the the way the arrogant character is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Like Seven is the self-aware arrogant character who's aware she has flaws as well. The doctor of course believes he has no flaws whatsoever and is perfectly confident in every single thing he does. Mm-hmm. And that was funny at first, but it just getting less every time they come down to him, he's going to say two snarky things and possibly counsel you against what you're trying to do. And then you leave. That's it. I'm very great. Don't do this thing. Now yep. I will sing for a while. I'm the uh-huh. doctor. And I'm just, I'm, I hate that because mm-hmm. he was, he was one of the bright points going in like, well, at least there's yep. always the doctor. And again, there wasn't anything specifically egregious in this episode, but I, overall i like this one i couldn't find a lot of like glaring bad sure. things and i feel like this was a good as good a time as any to point well, this yours out, is still so. better than mine so oh what's yours by the episode and the episode each of us wearing a sweater so bad that wesley crusher would look at it and think nah it's too ostentatious for me <laughs> it's a bad fucking sweater like oh i see my jumper from the weasleys came c- come on star <laughs> come on star trek it's been a while now you know how to do sweaters right no. right no. No. Damn do you, it. Do you, do you remember how the DS9 crew dressed uh, off duty? Uh, only at night when I wake up screaming. <laughs> do, you, do you remember only, I believe it might have been this season or at least late last season, not very long ago, uh, Harry Two Belts Kim? Oh my god, I forgot, I forgot about Days of Future Harry. Yeah, no, that, that too. That was oh. a different episode, but also that. But Two no, belts. I'm talking about, this was, I believe, the last Captain Proton episode. Where oh my god, okay, yeah. Where he's wearing two belts. I should probably get some more belts. No, maybe it wasn't Captain Bird. I don't remember. It was a holodeck-centric episode. I remember that. What about but if I had more than this belt? My my point is, usually the civilian clothes are terrible. Mm-hmm. It, with a character like Seven, who only ever wears civilian clothes and is never in uniform. Is like, that what we're calling her? What she wears? Is that civilian clothes? Well, she's a civilian. She doesn't wear a uniform, so they had to design something new for her. I suppose that's true. I just... Looking at this, the, the, the variety of onesies that she wears, I don't know that I'd really refer to them as civilian clothes. I I like what she wears, and not I'm not even talking on a, like, you know, oh, she's hot, look at her body. Like, I mean, let's be honest, I am. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I, I am I am human. Mm-hmm. But for, for real, I don't find it particularly, I mean, here I am, a middle-aged white male, saying, oh, I don't think that's too exploitive. Maybe it is, I can't make that call. But it doesn't feel like it is to me. Mm. But I more mean, importantly... I guess I, Troy wore the same thing. Uh, Troy did a lot more cleavage. cleavage. Yeah. Like, I feel like Troy's was a little more exploitive. But my, my point is, hers are largely inoffensive because it's just a simple garment that uh, varies in color. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that character would have something that is completely just put it on and forget about it. There is no fashion. Like, fashion is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Like, this this will not draw undue attention to me, but it is also not particularly fashionable i don't know about that seven (laughs) well you know what i mean Uh uh-huh it's not like neelix's clown suits is what i'm saying i feel like she should be wearing just like a black suit like fucking uh uh jeff goldblum in jurassic park oh i I thought you're like like everyone from lex or cleopatra 2525 no literally a like a suit ah yeah that's fine that's actually sounds pretty hot honestly do people still wear suits in the future i think they should i mean yes but i feel like it's one of those things where it feels too grounded in the 20th century where they mm. probably never put someone in a, in a, you know, a business suit. No, suits of various types are pretty, like, they've been around a while. Yeah, I mean, they've evolved a little bit. I mean, but, I, we've definitely seen version, like, Star trek suits. I would yeah. argue that Neelix and uh, Quark both wore types of suit. <laughs> well, Quark's is definitely, because, you know, you're supposed to get a, a businessman vibe from mm. the Ferengi. And it definitely, like, blurred the line. Because they wanted to make him a sleazy businessman, they put a little bit of that whole, like, uh, Hawaiian shirt in there, yep. too. To, like, you know, not a lot of classy guys wearing Hawaiian shirts. There's, there's one or two. Mm. But usually that implies, like, I'm trying a little too hard to put you at your ease, but really you need to keep an eye on me. As someone who had a boss who wore nothing but Hawaiian shirts, I would agree with that. I'm I'm qualifying the hell out of this because I know Bob... Uh-huh. A regular, regular guest, one of my oldest and closest friends, Bob, 
regularly wears Hawaiian shirts, and I trust him just fine. But oh, well, for the most count. part, no, I'm talking about your your your, your Biff type guys, your Biff Tannen type guys. Yeah, Biff would definitely wear a Hawaiian shirt when he wasn't, um, yeah, doing anything else that Biff got up to. Yeah, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I got up to a lot. Anyway, um. What else? I don't know. Do you want to talk about Biff some more? <laughs> I mean, I do, but I feel like that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> uh, Biff, how? Biff's not just for kids anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you uh, let's d- see. You- they talk about cloning Naomi Wildman at the beginning of the episode, which I think is a grand idea. Absolutely. I, I am pleased that, like, I, my main concern when the four kids came on, we already talked about this, is that she would be eclipsed by them. And instead... Now it's just, no, we have several kids, and she is one of them, and mm. she's still there just as much, and good. Like, now she has some friends. Yep. So I'm fine with that. Like, I was worried we'd, like, they'd shuffle her into the background, and they yeah. haven't done that yet. No, I actually, so. I like the idea of pairing her off with Borg Child. Yeah. Two. Again, I'm, it's going to be hard for me to remember their names. I will remember Echeb now because he had his own episode, but until you give them their own episode that is memorable, mm-hmm. it's just going to, like, pff, nope. Because they gave them all, like, dumb, two-syllable, yep. random mashing the you keyboard. You Clorax, and you're... Yeah. Zaymot. They, yes. <laughs> Clorax and Zaymot. <laughs> yes, brother. <laughs> also, I just on a total tangent, I don't get the Crimson Twins. You punch one of them and they both feel it? That's not a superpower. That's weird. Anyway. Th- that, that's not a superpower. That's incredibly inconvenience. That's a horrible... Yeah. I was. I noticed I'm on, you got a paper cut today. Ah. I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised the Borg aren't like that, where you shoot one drone and the entire cube goes ow. Hey, did did Tomax and Zaymont sleep in bunk beds? They must, I mean, right? I. I mean, I haven't gotten to uh, an episode where that's happened yet, but I'm sure it, at some point they must. I mean, like they've got to have like they've got to have like a weird split down the middle. Room. Oh, I Cobra headquarters. Right. I picture. I picture a, a, a Lucy and Ricky like double beds next to each other. Thing. Yeah, that would work too. With a with a T and an X on them. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like Ernie and Bert have. <laughs> yes. Much like Ernie and Bert have. And then in the middle of the night, Tomax can't sleep, so he plays the bugle with some sheep. <laughs> no, he opens the window and starts singing, so people will yell the time to him. <laughs> that was my favorite Ernie and Bert. Oh my god. I'm really enjoying this now. Yeah. Um, but we should probably talk My paperclip collection. I don't know what Tomax and Zaymont sound like. Uh, they, they a bit British-y, like, sort of high class, like, you know. We are, and they always complete each other's sentences, sure. like that Huey, Dewey, and Louie thing. Yeah. We are the Crimson Twins. Ugh, that's annoying. Is, it, is that, like, your last name, or, like, did they just make that up? We'll be the Crimson Twins from now on. No, they're like the, the they are twins and they're the in charge of the Crimson Guard. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Anyway, this has been an extended commercial for my G.I. Joe reviews on YouTube, youtube.com slash Algar. They post uh pretty frequently. <laughs> I actually don't uh, know that much about G.I. Joe, so all Me neither. I'm learning right? as I go. <laughs> well, now you know. Mm-hmm. Now that knowing is some part of the battle. <laughs> I, I'm unclear which, but fifty uh, percent. Mm. The other half is killing. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, just looking over my notes here. I don't think so. I, I did have one of those where I was mocking the episode and then the episode called out the thing I was mocking it for. And I always like when the writers are like half a step ahead of me there. Because mm-hmm. at the end, um, uh, Echeb is back on Voyager. He's he's uh, staying up late in Astrometrics doing science, like catching up because he was spending too much time kicking dirt around and sure. eating dirt and doing various dirt related uh, activities. And uh, Seven says, no, you, you're an individual. This is what my journey's have been all about. You're an individual. You have a right to choose your destiny. Now go to bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so he's an individual, but he has to do what you say. And then he says, oh, so I'm an individual, but I have to do what you say. Well, well played, show. <laughs> that happens occasionally when I'll start typing a note and then the character just says exactly what I'm typing. Nice work. You win yeah. this round. You guys are at least aware of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So good for you. One thing I've noticed in... I would say the second half of season six is I'm seeing a lot of writers names that I don't recognize. See, that seems like a good idea to me. It does. It absolutely does. And I'm wondering, I don't know if they added people to the, like the, the, uh, the writers, uh, the writer's room, Mm. like the, what is the word I'm searching for? Drawing a blank staff. How did I lose that one? Mm -hmm. 
the writing well, staff. Welcome to every day of my life. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't tell if they actually brought them on staff or if they're, if they're specs scripts, yeah. or, like, I don't know, but it's, it's a nice, it's good like, getting some new blood into the, well, it, we've talked about this in, in that 50 year mission book. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the later parts of Voyager and then into enterprise, how they were just burned out and out of ideas mm-hmm. because the Star Trek machine had been going for, you know, since 1987 at this yeah. point and they were running out of ideas. And so, yeah, bring, bring in new people. That's mm-hmm. good. All right, you got a quote for us? Uh, I do. I don't remember what it is, though. Oh, there we go. Come with me. Where? To dinner with your parents. I'm working. You can continue your work after the meal. I don't have anything to talk about with them. And it will be a very quiet evening. All right, that was a good quote. Yep. Now let's push forward to the one I really liked a lot. Uh, Good Shepherd. With the unassailable success of Amanda's summary last week, I thought I might try my own gimmick, thereby cheapening hers and shifting the attention to where it belongs, on me. Oh, hang on. I'm getting the stop ruining your own show alarm. Let's just go ahead and stand down from DEFCON Clive. (laughs) But I reserve the right to come back to this terrible idea if Enterprise ends up being as bad as I think it will be. All right. So you know how Voyager loves to heat up old TNG plots in the microwave and serve them to you like they're all new? They actually pulled that off in this episode, which is their version of Lower Decks. Meet the misfit commandos of Voyager. Billy, a hypochondriac who in one episode manages to do a better job playing a nervous mess than Dwight Schultz ever did with Barkley. Tal, a Bajoran woman who isn't very good at math but ended up working in engineering, which I'm pretty sure is a nightmare that Matt and I have both had. And Mortimer. No, seriously, Mortimer. A dude who's much more interested in theoretical science than ever putting his hands on anything or talking to anyone. Mortimer does the barest minimum required of him his day job and spends most of his time hiding in a private cubby working on the things he's passionate about. Guess which guy I found most relatable. <laughs> anyway, there they are. Your Stardate 53753 fake lower decks guys. When an ISO 9000 review by seven points out that the ship is not operating at peak efficiency. I will pause by pretend to be shocked by this. Kate tracks many of the problems down to these three knuckleheads and decides to take them on a low-key science mission to get them get to know them all better and inspire them, in the case of Billy and Tal, or knock some goddamn sense into them, in the case of Mortimer. Naturally, the mission ends up being decidedly less low-key than originally planned, and the, in the ensuing disaster, most of these guys do not actually step up and learn how to be better officers. I mean, they pull together to escape the inevitable space peril, but nobody really learns anything or changes. Usually this sort of thing bothers me, but not this time. The lesson here is for Kate. Sometimes people just suck, Captain. There's not a whole lot you can do about that, despite your very best leadership efforts. Now, if only you'd realize that Harry also fits into this category. Like, these guys all kind of suck, but I'd rather see any of them, even Mortimer, on the bridge and at staff meetings instead of special boy. Yep. Is this our trend now, insulting Harry in our summaries? I'm fine with that. He's got three lines in any episode, but uh, we're just going to, like, uh write crap about him anyway i mean i can't think of like any reason not to i don't harry. I, we we didn't uh we we didn't coordinate this it just kind of happened this I, way and harry's barely in either of these episodes I, honestly you yeah. know like i if he wants if he's gonna become voyager's punching bag i'm completely down for that i feel like he should probably be punched this uh th- this past week um Amanda's going to be uh cosplaying at uh, emerald city in a uh, in an original series uh, costume i don't it's not for me to reveal. It might be a secret sure. still. I don't know. But uh, we were watching some uh, original series for research and kind of got sucked down a rabbit hole and started watching more. And uh, I, I had forgotten how much I hated Chekhov and how much he really is exactly the same as Harry. He's a Harry prototype, basically. Yeah, exactly. He's Harry 1.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, shut up, Chekhov. I wish someone would shoot Harry with a stick shooter. Over and over and over, over again. Over and over and over again. Mm. Yeah. I really like this episode a lot. Like, yeah. I was telling you... um, it's one of those I, I try to usually get my my homework done early, uh, like almost a week ahead of time. I, I do my notes, do my summary. Sometimes I'll come back and, and tweak the summary if I sure. feel something funnier comes to me. But uh, usually I don't think about it for five or six days until recording time. And this one stuck with me. I thought about it like through the week. It's just mm-hmm. an interesting like like it is lower decks, but it's also different enough to not be lower decks. I think one of the benefits of this is it's lower decks, but with the captain like well yeah 
like Lower Decks was all about pull, like uh, what these guys get up to. That yeah, what's who who's running the Enterprise? There's a thousand people yeah. here. What do they get up to in and the course of a given day? What's her face? The Bajoran chick from that one gets sort of pulled up and like doesn't Cito Jaxa. But like these are these are guys just directly inter like uh, just directly working with Kate. You know. Yeah. And well, none of them really ever have before, but but she makes them. Like yeah. the whole point is none of these guys have ever been on a way mission before. This is a problem. I need to, I'm going to take them under my wing and I'm going to teach them and I'm going to give them that special care that will make them better. And it it didn't really work. Yeah. And I, I like that a lot. It's like, I totally get it. Like it sort of gets back to Kate at the science fair from the episode before where she's doing like a teacher thing. It's like, okay, well, these guys have been fucking up and shit. So, you know, maybe I should take like a closer, like a more personal hand with them and see what I can do. Yeah, at first, I mean, Seven actually does do a very similar thing. Like I said, the ISO 9000, like when they, yep. that's, uh, I, they call it something else now, but in the 90s when I was working a corporate job, that they brought in the outside consultant who looked at how you did things, and mm-hmm. then they sat your managers down and said, here's how you could be more efficient. Sure. And that's exactly what Seven did. And as you pointed out, it's one of those Seven is good at uh, self-awareness things because she said, here's how I need to improve, yep. but here's how the rest of you need to improve too. More- <laughs> but you know, but all of you need to improve more. Yeah. Like, but to look, be clear, there's there's stuff wrong everywhere, including with me. Look, Pobody's nerfed on Voyager, but I'm the <laughs> most closest to nerfed. So. Oh my god, we need to we need to put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I but my point is like they they bat this around in the in the conference room for a while like okay yeah these guys are fuck ups and this one is Bolana's fault and the doctor probably like encourages this hypochondriac too much blah 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 mm. and Kate has that moment where she's like you know what who cares whose fault it is it's my ship I'm the captain I should take control here and try to fix this yeah. and that's a good leader mm. that is straight up a good instinct to have now she's she doesn't really succeed but the impulse to want to do that is mm. what one of the reasons I really like Kate is like there's something broken on my ship, and rather than delegating, I w- I'm going to try to fix this myself. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's a really interesting, like, I, I, I was actually thinking about this during the week, I forget why, about which, uh, like, which of, if I had to go on an adventure with any of the Trek captains, it would probably be Kate. Yeah, I or can may- see that. maybe Cisco, because he seems like a fun guy. But like, Yeah, but he's also a sports guy, and he would not shut yeah. up about baseball. But like I on, honestly, I kept coming back to I cannot think of anything worse than going out on, on an away mission with Captain Picard. Oh no, the thing is, I would just want to die. <coughs> Picard would send Riker, and that would be great. Yeah, uh-huh. that's fine. And that that's kind of thinking about this. If this situation happened on the Enterprise, mm. Picard would make Riker fix it. Yeah, he'd say this is a problem. Someone needs to take a first hand. Uh, you know, get get to know these kids. Uh, Will you got this? Yeah. No, it's, but, it's just, it's very interesting, like, Picard's whole loneliness of command don't really talk to anybody on his ship thing, whereas Kate knows everybody on the ship. Well, it's a smaller ship, but also, yes, she is, she is more suited to that. She's, she's just that kind of a person. Yeah. Which I like. And Ben was like that, too, but also, his crew was not just his crew. There was a lot of people from other places that weren't technically his subordinates, and, mm-hmm. like, that, that was a little more complicated. Yeah. But no, and, and my good thing, it makes us... It makes total sense that there's, and they say this in the episode, there's a certain percentage of Starfleet people who wash out after the first year or two. You go, like, you graduate the academy, you go on your your uh, your first tour of duty, and, then they, and you're like, whoa, this is not for me. Yeah, they the give school, you, like a, like, a desk job or whatever. Yeah, school was great, but uh, being out here in space is, depending on who you are, mm-hmm. boring, scary, terrible. I like, you know, uh, the, the dude Mortimer, who just is totally in his own head with the theoretical physics. Mm-hmm. Isn't great with people. He wanted to get into, I believe, his own planets like Science Academy. And to do that, you first have to go through Starfleet. Sure. So this was just like your your resume has to have a certain amount of experience. He was doing this because he had to. It was like a yeah. prerequisite to what he really wanted. But he did. And then they all got stranded. Oh, he did not want this. And that's the thing. This is the best Voyager episodes to me. The very best ones. And there are some. The show isn't all garbage. There's mm-hmm. occasionally good ones. Are episodes that completely take advantage of Voyager's premise, which is. The ship is stranded. There's no support system. And in this particular case, it's about the normal course of action on a Starfleet ship would be these guys would rotate out after a few months or a year or whatever. It may be a 75-year ride home, and you're stuck with these guys who normally would be long gone by now. 
I love that. I love that is such a good Voyager specific story that wouldn't work on any other yeah, show. You can't do that on like Enterprise or uh, Enterprise no. on the Enterprise or whatever. Any of the ships that go back to Earth ever or go back to a Starbase yeah. ever could just unload the problem, guys. Send them to the hood, as we always say. Yeah, you don't want to be here. Cool, we got a place for you. Yeah. But there is no the hood to send these guys to. You're yeah. stuck with them. And the ship is, as we've pointed out many times, so understaffed and everyone's got to be there to do a job. Mm. Even if you could send them away, you don't want to because you need every pair of hands you have. Yeah, it's like, Captain, I don't want to do this job. Well, fucking, we've lost 15 people. Since yeah, literally no one show. else can do this job. Like, you, you know how to hold a wrench. Like, yeah. And I, like... Again, very specific to Voyager and very effectively told. Like, mm. they all had very different reasons for not being great, and they were all very distinctive. Like, each one of them felt like a fully fleshed out character, and we say this all the time, but it's hard to do that in a done-in-one episode, and they, they made all three of these characters unique, I thought. Uh-huh. Which I liked, and and that brings us to your good thing. Yeah, so I kind of about halfway through this episode fell in love with. I think her full name is Tall Celeste. It's a Bajoran, one of those Bajoran backwards. I, I think so. She had a she had, not just because she's Bajoran, but she had a real Kira look to her, like yeah. similar look to uh, Nana Visitor. Um, but she is the best example of somebody with anxiety I've ever seen on Trek. Yeah, remember yep. how I, how much I identified with Barkley when he first showed up and was just like, yeah, you identified with Barkley on paper, but then the more you saw the way he was played, you're like, well. At least there's an anxiety guy, but this still isn't quite yeah, right. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. With Like, he was yeah. so off the chart. Like, Celeste is perfect. Like, she has a great speech with Janeway about how terrified she is of using the computer. Like, she's got the imposter syndrome. She's got the constant, constant fuck-ups that she is always dwelling on. She has this great thing about, like, nobody actually wanted me in Starfleet. I got passed over because I got passed through on a sympathy vote because of the because uh, of the uh, occupation. Yeah, like, Bajorans kind of got a little bit of special treatment after the war because they all thought, well, geez, we need to give these guys a chance because they're planet, man. Or she just thinks that because in her yeah. mind, there is no way anyone would ever pass her for any of the work she's doing. I... I have never identified with a Trek character so much in my life. And the thing is, between her and then, like I had pointed out, the uh, the dude with the hypochondria, mm. I also felt like he was channeling a Barkley thing, but again, more subtly. Like, oh, yeah. He he thought every possible thing was wrong with him all the time. Mm. And we did an episode like that with Barkley, and it was kind of like, ugh, you feel like a cartoon, man. And this guy felt more like, no, this is this is the 24th century where WebMD has infinite pages and, yeah, and you can you find can so many more things that could be wrong. You can just keep clicking on random at night and keep getting more yep. and more terrified. Yep. You know, this this particular disease, which kills almost, which kills after 15 years of the smallest of exposure, is undetectable at all. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like that speech that Bones had, space is darkness and, and yep. uh, disease wrapped in, yeah, that somehow he's got a video clip of that that he just plays over and over mm -hmm. and over again. He's just watching it just like, yes, Bones. Yes, you are correct. I don't know why they recorded him saying this to his friend on a shuttle, but uh, yes, he's right. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I quite like that, and I like the the choice of making the two of these two guys friends because mm -hmm. they are they both do sort of suffer from different forms of anxiety, and they're helping each other a bit. And I like that they kind of found each other. Yeah, like that. Like, okay, we between the two of us, we can almost make one functioning Starfleet officer. <laughs> Let's pull together. Right. He's coaching her through her, her math horribleness. And she's like, dude, you got to get up and go to work. But I, I, think like I but, but I think I've got all dairy and crotch rot. You're not all Darian. Is your crotch hanging off? No? Well, you're how, fine. Get to work. How many crotches do you have? Because you need seven for that disease to be a thing. <laughs> now, uh, pause while you try to picture a creature with seven crotches. Seven crotched man. Um, My God! And then, and then I thought uh, Mortimer was yes. particularly Mortimer. like they, well, that's his real name. He hates being called that. Understandably, <laughs> again, apologies to all the Mortimers listening to this. Again, I, I, uh, the character I most related to, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I have to have a job, so here I am. But this is not what I care about, and I'm just going to hide up here and work on the thing that I love. Yep. And and he's terrible with people, and I like to think that I'm not. Quite that bad, but, uh, you know, I've been accused of that at my day job. 
Um, I like that he's terrible with people and not, like, the end of the episode isn't, like, like both Janeway and uh, Hypochondriac guy have talked to them, like, don't you want friends? Like, and he's like, no. Ew. Yeah, and usually the, the pat move is to, to yeah, of course I do. I, I've just been hiding secret pain, and I'm so glad they didn't go that way. It's like, like the I real said. ending to this episode is the end of the episode is that the the two of them are at sick or at uh, uh, the table in uh, the mess hall, and he sits down with them. Like no, yeah. like at best he might now have two new friends, but he doesn't want to ingratiate himself with anyone else. Yeah, and also those he, two new friends would leave pretty quickly when he's all he wants to talk about is his stupid uh, theories. Right. But, and and he's a, a like just a like a, a horribly rude bastard mm. to the captain's face. Yep, which is horribly insubordinate, and you can tell like it's a it's a real like uh, testament to her um, devotion to wanting to get into these guys' heads that she doesn't just fucking snap at him. Yeah. Well, maybe you shouldn't talk to the captain like that. Now let's try this. And I'm like I- I'm watching. I'm like hit him with a wrench. Yeah, I mean th- she should. Yeah. Other captains certainly would, but the whole point of this mission is trying to make these guys feel special, so that would be a little counterproductive, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, shut up or I'll throw a baked potato at you. Computer, baked potato. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, There was actually, at the very beginning of the episode, There was it sort of sets the tone, this great sequence where they we start with our standard sort of long shot of Voyager in space, and we zoom in on, like, one window. Mm-hmm. And we see some guys working and then the camera moves around the ship and we follow like five or six different characters. And it, it painted a better picture of an average day on Voyager than ever, mm-hmm. I thought. And just I, I thought that set the tone really well. Like this is lower decks, kind of. This is let's see what goes on elsewhere kind of thing. And yeah. I like that. that no, and fun. I like the, just that whole like it it covers like the whole ship too. like as we're sort of moving between these guys. Yeah. It's neat. Yeah. I liked it. Also, I guess um, the basement of the ship is just, like, I, I kind of love Kate showing up at the ship's basement and, like, wandering around, like, I don't, how have I never been here, down here before? Yep. I've been living here a while now. Yeah, but, you know, there's parts you don't want to go to. That's true. I get that. I mean, the crawl space of your house, it's there. If if something goes horribly wrong that needs your attention, you'll 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 take a flashlight if you have to, but you don't want to go in there. Ugh, a lot of dead bodies in here. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't even the original tenant. These aren't all mine. <laughs> I mean, that one and that one are, but the rest of these, I don't know where these came from. Do they come here to die? <laughs> is this is this Voyager's elephant graveyard? <laughs> um, that I, all that said, though, my bad thing is giving the hypochondriac a space parasite. I thought mm-hmm. was a little too on the nose. Like, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that space parasite either. Honestly, like. They're in this, they, they end up getting, like, they're going to explore a nebula or whatever it is. Like, sure. I, I don't remember. But um, a, a science thing that's fairly routine and fairly boring and nobody really cared. We'll go look at boring science. Well, I mean, it's always interesting to the captain. But sure. the point is, they were about to pass it. They made a point of, Chicote said, well, we're passing this thing. Probably not good enough to stop at. And she's like, well, usually not. But this time, because I want to take these guys on a, on a softball mission. Yeah. This time, we'll we'll do we'll, we'll do this one. We'll go together. We'll stop at Nebula number 90,000 just to give these guys something easy. Mm. And it turns out it's not easy. And it's full of space-born parasites. And, like, that was the twist. Like, that was yeah. the turn in the episode I didn't love. I wish it was just out there in space dealing with each other's personalities without some monsters. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I, I realized that they needed to give the guys, like, a reason to step up. Yeah, but just just having the ship hit by asteroids and crashing or something, you know what I mean? Like, like there's plenty of normal space things that you don't have to add that monster element. That being said, I'm so glad that you didn't have they didn't have the fucking shuttle crash again. No, no, not stranded on a planet, mm. but maybe like in a decaying orbit about to crash. Like, oh, I like sure. that it was on the shuttle the whole time. Yeah, because, yeah, crashed stranded on a planet trying to escape. We've done that so Eight many million times. times, but just a simple matter of. Uh, oh shit, uh, bad at math girl put in the wrong numbers and the shields failed for just a second and this meteor hit the sh- the, the ship mm-hmm. and now we're going to be crashing toward this planet if we don't get things working again. Oh, like, oh, oh good, my literal nightmare. But that that happened, not not that, but I'm saying like yeah. her, her, ba- her badness at math did actually endanger them mm-hmm. and to the point where Janeway's constantly checking her figures and making sure like, uh, okay, I know you said that's right and I don't want to be that that guy, but I also don't want to be that corpse. So I've absolutely have a, been that. No, no. Always check what I'm doing, guy. 
And she said that she, she was at least aware enough. Like, no, I'm terrible. And she's like, no, you're not terrible. This might not be your best thing. Let's find you a better job. That was the only thing I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I want to see where she ends up. Give her a good job. Well, and that was, that was a make great conversation not, make too. Make Seven not her boss anymore, for the love of Christ. I thought Bellana was her boss. Oh, maybe. I, either way, <laughs> neither of them is going to give her any, any uh, latitude at all. Listen, as someone who doesn't want to get yelled at every day. Yeah. No, you, you subscribe to the Paul F. Tompkins school of being an employee, which is I'm doing everything I can not to get yelled at. Yep. But, philosophy um, that served me well up to this point. I, me too. Mm-hmm. My, my general philosophy at work is work very hard so that I can then fuck off. Yep. I want to get to the point where all my work is done and I can put my feet up. Yep. So do not be one of those bosses that tells me if I have time to lean. Shut up. I work very I hard so I cannot do anything. to me. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Now, um, I, I, like I said, I didn't love the turn that, that they, they ran into monsters and stuff. But mm-hmm. overall, I, I just, I liked that these guys tried to step up and they did a little bit. But yeah. the lesson is, Kate, some of them just suck. Yeah. I like that. You can't, you, you, you don't get, they're not all Tom Paris. No, Tom started out as a guy you didn't really want and turned into a pretty good officer. Yeah. Harry started as a fresh-faced cadet and has not seemed to improve the least bit the whole time. How have you been working here six years and you're still a fresh-faced cadet? I mean, never mind that he hasn't been promoted. He doesn't seem to have done anything to earn a promotion. No. Uh, they don't promote you for dying and coming back to life. I know that much. But we've all died. I mean, maybe you a little more than the rest of us, but we've all gone through that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Kate's died a lot. Welcome to Voyager. Everybody dies. Yep. And not not in the sense of we are all mortal and you will one day die. No, you're going to die a lot. Yeah. Just, you know, part of the job. You'll you'll be dead at least two to three times. Yeah. At least. Uh-huh. Uh, what was your bad thing? I also didn't particularly care for the uh, giant tapeworm busting out of uh, the guy's shoulder. Now, did you not like it or were you effectively grossed out and it's bad because it made you feel bad? Well, it definitely effectively grossed me out, but like it didn't. So it was a good effect is what Well, it didn't look very good. Oh, okay. Just, it wasn't like, a good effect. Voyager usually does better with their, their computer-generated yeah. guys. But, like, it feels like it was a really simple effect that they sort of fucked up. Well, I think I might be wrong, but it seems like we're in that period where computer-generated stuff is still pretty early. And, like, as I recall, stuff around that time made space stuff look good because yeah. uh, it's easier to make a shiny piece of metal in a mm-hmm. mostly dark place than it yeah. is to make an organic-looking thing. And I feel like like the space stuff in this episode in particular was great. Yeah. Like the the Delta Flyer out there in this uh, – I, I keep saying nebula, and it's probably not a nebula, and I wish I knew more about science. There- but – a, a, a colorful cloud. Yeah, there's a there's a shot where the ship's surrounded by weirdly like reflective balls or something. Yeah, and it's really cool. No, all the space stuff looks amazing. Yeah. I feel like whenever they try to CG, and we talked about this back with Species Eight, <laughs> like uh, we like we like the design and the idea of those guys enough that mm-hmm. we could overlook the bad CG, but it was bad CG. Like I feel like they couldn't effectively make a believable creature out of yeah. computer animation just yet mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 rough it looked better when it honestly it looked better when it was sort of like just a shape moving through him well yeah that's that's more i probably a practical effect i would guess yeah of just putting some latex over his skin or however they do i don't know how they do Here, it, you get a worm you know. in you yeah exactly i know <laughs> things happen like it's, it, it's weird because like I was like, I know stuff was actually happening in the episode, but like, I, I could not tell you any of it. Like, well, it, was it was all about like the, the, the characters doing yeah, stuff. Yeah. Those are my favorite kind of episodes, yeah. character driven episodes. Like the plot is something to hang that on, but mm-hmm. you want to see here are our characters this week. Here is the, the journey that they go on and do they fail or do they succeed? Let's find out. Yeah, it's literally like, and then they did some space stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, in a good way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, they replicate some kind of alien dinner or whatever, and I'm looking, and I'm like, well, that's clearly Campbell's Chunky Soup. <laughs> I've eaten enough of that to know. Look, it's actually quite a lot of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Good Lord. If you're... Uh, really? Yeah. I never I never pegged you for a can of soup kind of guy, th- seeing as you were grossed out by literally everything. Mm, no, I've been I've been known to eat a thing of clam chowder occasionally. Ugh. I like this. I like eating the sea, Al. 
Well, that's fair. I just out of a can is where you lose me. Mm. I mean, like, well, look, homemade soup is better, but it's also a pain in the ass. Like, no, I, I get you. There's there's an in between step there, though. Like, I can't. There's like deli soup. I don't cook. I have to like. No, I if have you're gonna to eat but if, food at work sometimes. I get you. I get you. But like, there's like your um. Oh, what's that? Uh, the uh, Panera bread or like mm. your even like a, a, a deli at a supermarket. Like there's places that will make soup for you. That's not in a can. Yeah, no. But unfortunately, where I work is in the middle of in, like nothing but other industrial buildings. Oh, like there's not a whole you. lot of uh, eating out options unless they want to go to Subway every day. And that will kill me. Yeah. No, I. I you're, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. I would be better off eating eating a bottle. Yeah, you're you're definitely right. No, I I just you you, you work in Portland, yeah. and I just kind of assumed that in Portland there's an app on your phone where some bearded dude on a unicycle will bring you a flute of soup. Absolutely, and you would normally be right, but like I work, and I mean a flute like the musical instrument. Oh no, and he will I play it for you, understand. and a bowl will fill with soup. Captain Picard shows up to blow soup at you out of a flute. Oh no, I mean a proper flute that you play sideways. Ah. That was more of a recorder, and uh, you know. And then, and then you have to tip him in like uh, chocolate eggs or something. Sure. Fucking Portland. No, I'm in. I'm like in the middle of a bunch of other warehouses. There's not a whole lot of, of food options. Ah, I got you. And none of them are very good. Fair enough. Uh, back back to this episode. Oh right, I that's think, what we're I think we may have mentioned once or twice. Uh huh. There was a there was a good bit. Uh, sort of in between where we realize these guys are fuck ups before they go on the mission where everyone's talking about like sort of the middle management is talking about, well, how come I haven't done more? And there's a great scene in uh, the mess hall with mm-hmm. Bellana and Tom and Tom's like, well, Bellana, why don't you try harder to get to know this guy? And she's like, oh, really? Why don't you try to get to know him? OK, I will. He does. And it goes very badly. Mm-hmm. And I love I just love her smug. Like, see what I tell you. I know yep. you think I'm not great with people and that may be true, but that guy's terrible. Yep. That was a fun, a fun scene. <laughs> oh, fuck. I want to talk about this. OK, mm-hmm. so there's a shot. There's a point in the episode. And I actually wrote down the number because it was the the time code because it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 3850-ish, if you want to go back and check, there's a shot of a computer, and you can actually see a mouse cursor moving around on it. Huh. Which, Trek computers don't have cursors. They've never had cursors. No. I assume they pull up, like, they've got, like, the way their computers work in production is, like, they're just, they're almost like screensavers or something, where you just... Yeah, I don't think there's a computer, like, an actual computer connected to those screens. I'm pretty sure they're just, like, transparencies lit up. Mm. But no, there's an actual shot of a computer that I guess Mortimer or whatever is using. And you can l- see a little a little mouse moving around on it. Huh. I only point that out because I've never seen that before in Trek and it was super. Well, they like, yeah, it would be distracting. No, nah, like, and that's one of those things you that? always. That's one of those things you would always notice and I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe like that guy's from a different planet. Like he's studying science stuff. Maybe that's the interface for computers on his planet. I don't know. Anyway, anything else? Uh, no, just that mouse. Okay. Uh, my quote yes. is uh, at the beginning where uh, we're, we're kind of following people from one department to the other. And Bolana's got this great shitty line about seven, which is this. What's our board queen want now? And I just quite liked that. That scene actually um, where apparently they have to pass a pad all through every person on the goddamn ship. I'm watching well, I mean, it's like invent email. I mean, that is impractical, but on the other hand, as a storytelling device, it was pretty great. Oh, sure, it's great, but I just keep thinking of that Disney cartoon where they keep passing the telegram around. Well, yeah, of course. All right, so that's all for this week. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, one of our listeners, and I don't have his name up, unfortunately, uh, at this very moment, but uh, made this great uh, thing he wrote to us uh, with alternate battles from the episode Sukatse. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Lego minifigures. And they are fantastic. If you want to go to our Tumblr, poststomachhorror.tumblr.com, we put the pictures up there. Um, they're just funny little things. I'm pretty sure he custom made these minifigures. He must there's have a, done, because, yeah. There's a few different armises. Yeah. <laughs> which I doubt if they sell a Star I don't even know if they make Star Trek Lego, but if they did, they I do doubt not. it comes with different armises. Trust me, if they did, I would know. Yeah. So so check that out. 
Also this week, something I was uh, briefly tweeting about and, and people seem to really love, and I kind of wanted to make special mention of this. I talked mm. about this before. Uh, IDW is putting, putting out a, um, a Trek uh, anthology comic yes. called uh, Waypoint. And it's really good. I only just discovered it's only six issues, which is stupid. If you have the Trek license and you can do like a two short stories per issue thing, do that forever. Yeah, like you got 50 years of, of uh, Trek to draw from. You got any number of writer and artists like you're not waiting on one particular team. You can just keep filling the book with good stuff. Yeah. I don't know why they're only doing six of them, but maybe it's if we all go. Things it's, uh, for one thing, anthologies don't sell great. Don't they? No. I mean, I love them, but I guess I guess you might be right. Um, uh, maybe if we all go buy it, it'll they'll change their mind. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, issue three in particular, there is a Voyager ep- uh, uh, story uh, that is the, the, the conceit of the story is that is a crayon comic drawn by Naomi Wildman about an adventure with Naomi and seven. And it is the most adorable thing ever. <clears throat> Uh, that's Waypoint issue three. It was out, I think, two weeks ago. I will say and, this. Uh, Naomi pretty much nails how Harry Kim works. Oh, she does not like Harry at all. Which she also doesn't like Tom. The best. There's also a lot of like uh, uh, one-liners about how, Tom, don't fuck this up like you fuck everything up. <laughs> which I don't really think of Tom that way, but if Naomi does, I'm I'm cool with that. Yep. So. But yeah, that's, that is definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also getting near the end of the season. We've got a few more weeks, but uh, so if you want to write to us, it is postatomichorror at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you, and yep. we'll do our standard supplemental episode between seasons, answer your mail, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all for this time. Yeah. Uh, see you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2017. Please don't sue us. We're... We're we're still just doing this.